Before we dive into this episode of HRD Masterclass, I'd like to take 30 seconds to share the exciting news that we're now seeking sponsors for Season 5 to release in 2024. This is a wonderful opportunity to support the podcast series and also share your message with 3,500 HRD listeners around the world. Sponsorship options cost just $750 and $600 per episode, and for full details, contact D-A-R-R-E-N at allbypodcast.com. Right, let's start the episode. What are the learning or what are the training principles that you believe in and that you think are critical for every learning experience that you design? Welcome to Human Resource Development Masterclass, the new podcast series from the Academy of Human Resource Development, the organization that leads HRD through research. I'm your host, Darren Short, and throughout this first series of 10 episodes, I'll be joined by leading authors, researchers, and scholars to explore the fundamentals of HRD and how those are changing in the 2020s. Our focus for this episode is training and development and we'll be exploring what we mean by training and development, how it's impacted by changes in the workplace, and trends within the field. To help me, I'll be joined by three leading scholars, Dr. Ron Jacobs of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, Dr. Malika Shir-Mohammadi of University of Houston, and Dr. Sung-Wan Yoon of Texas A&M University Commerce. In the first part of the episode, I'll chat one-to-one with each of them, and then for the second part, Ron, Malika and Sungwan are together to explore their shared interest in training and development. That discussion is brought to you with the help of the generous support of our sponsor, Situate, a new platform that is the digital version of structured on-the-job training. All of the content you'll hear in this episode was recorded during April and May of 2021. Right, let's dive in to meet my first guest. My first guest today is Dr. Ron Jacobs, Professor of Human Resource Development, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Ron has authored over 100 journal articles and book chapters, and has authored or co-authored six books that address a range of topics in human resource and workforce development. Ron is Emeritus Professor of Workforce Development and Education at The Ohio State University. Ron has served as editor of Human Resource Development Quarterly and as president of the Academy of Human Resource Development. Ron was inducted into the International Adult and Continuing Education Hall of Fame and to the Academy of Human Resource Development Scholar Hall of Fame for his scholarly contributions to the field. Okay, well, welcome, Ron. Welcome to the HRD Masterclass podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Why don't we start off by just talking a little bit about your perspective of HRD as a subject or a profession, and then we can talk a little bit about how training and development fits into that. Sure. I think that's probably a pretty good place to start as well, because I think most people understand that there are different perspectives of HRD. There's a quite well-established learning perspective that emphasizes the major emphasis and thrust of HRD has to do with adult learning. There's a humanistic approach that 
has to do with ensuring that people are able to fulfill their needs. And there's a performance approach as well. It looks at what outcomes might be achieved of value both for individuals. It doesn't have to be only for the workplace benefit, but also for the individual benefit as well. And so depending on your perspective, one's perspective of HRD, I guess training and development can mean a little bit different things. In my own sense, I straddle between performance and learning, probably more so on the performance side. But of course, learning is important, especially when you're talking about training and development. So my perspective about HRD has to do with that HRD is about improving performance. And also it's about individual learning that supports that performance. And we do that through those, you know, very classical or traditional components that the literature talks about, employee development, organization development, and career development, those three major components. And as I said, when I think about training and development, I almost always think about it in the context of employee development. As I listen to you there, it reminds me that I think the term training and development was the first term that I got to use about the profession. I think when I joined the profession, I joined a team that was called a training and development team, and it was about training employees. Well, that has been my experience as well. Um, as a faculty member, I go way back to, I can't uh, deny the fact that I started teaching in 1980 in the idea of training. But I think that training then merged from my experience, went, it merged into training and development, and then that merged into HRD. And it's interesting, when people were using the word training and development, they were somewhat unsure whether it meant training and organization development or training and employee development. So there was kind of a uncertainty in a sense. There was development of something going on, but what, what the adjective to development might be or inferred was never ever made explicit. But I, I totally agree with you that that may have been the first term that a lot of people were confronted with when they entered the profession, T&D. I think back when I started work and it was T&D, it was also very structured. I remember at that point that it, it really was a case that training and development was, these are the courses that you'll go on. And it was almost an organizational version of an academic prospectus or curriculum now it's, again is, is that a common experience that training and development sort of came from that sort of structured realm i think so i think from an organization you know from a company perspective and we're talking maybe 30 years ago 40 years ago the way organizations justified having a what at that time could have been called a training department or a training and development department that they justified that there was an important need for the organization 
that they have some activity going on that looked like learning to support the organization in some way, and how that was actually expressed in the organization oftentimes was a great deal of variation. Some organizations were very proud of the fact that they had catalogs of courses that they offered to their employees and you know, employees might select those courses based on their MBOs. And, you know, the HRD department or the training department at that time was very happy to be complicit in all this because that that gave them customers. So there was this idea, as you say, that training and development was like a little schoolhouse for the organization. This is a little separate area where people came and participated in some learning activities that's that's true and i suppose as 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 training and development and hrd has evolved i suppose it's evolved in part because like the nature of work has changed so much and and is continuing to change i think when i just think about the last year and the way that the pandemic has changed the nature of work people working yeah people working at home far more and working remotely and Uh, People are having to train remotely and coach remotely. Well, I think that's what's the future. And I think that's what's putting so much more pressure on us as a profession. So even before the pandemic, what I saw and what I experienced is this movement towards kind of a bifurcation in a sense. We had this more complex work. We can say that now there's more knowledge work than ever before, and that knowledge work is across all positions within an organization. But I say that it's bifurcating because while we are seeing the challenges of being able to provide meaningful learning and development or training and development opportunities for people that have to do more complex work, well, of course, there's people on the other end. There's making sure that, well, as we call them in our demographic, low-wage, low-skilled people that we rely upon. And so there are needs on both, both ends that are critical from a training and development perspective. Um, as you mentioned, the work from home, basically what people are saying is that the boundaries of the work setting are beyond the building, beyond the company itself. The work setting is every place. So there's all kinds of issues when you expand the works, you know, the boundaries of the work setting. And one other thing that I'm seeing that's going to affect us is the fact that, you know, there is a large group of people in the workforce that have been out of work, perhaps for almost a year, that need to get back into the workforce. And they are going to find the workplace much different. They're going to be retraining needs and upskilling. And so this idea of what training and development appears to be in the past, you know, maybe just a nice activity, learning about things. I use the term strategic because it has to be, whatever we do has to be connected, has to be linked to some important need or problem that our workplaces have. So in a sense, 
I just don't see how organizations can allow too much waste in terms of what they are going to offer employees. It just is so important to make use of the time that we have with our, the time for learning has become so very important in organizations. It's fascinating to think about because, yeah, when we think about the workplace of the future potentially being more virtual, that presumably adds new challenges for an HRD practitioner in terms of thinking about how do I approach structured on-the-job training when on-the-job potentially could be people distributed widely geographically. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, what you're saying is exactly what I have observed. Um, Now, as you know, you mentioned um, structured on-the-job training, which is something that I've worked in, worked with quite a long time. The basic format of structured on-the-job training is that it occurs in the work setting. Okay. (laughs) We already know that the work setting has become a little bit more ambiguous and it occurs in the work setting, but it occurs between a, an experienced employee and a novice employee with the assumption that these people are physically together in some way, either standing together or they're, you know, they're sitting in an office or on, they're on the floor of a production area where they could be, you know, like in a conference room or something like that, but physically together. But that assumption can't be made anymore because people are working remotely. And so you can even think about this big issue of onboarding, being able to bring in new people, you know, integrate them into the culture of an organization, making sure that they understand their expectations, the tasks that they are responsible for, and the work processes that they may contribute to That's all part of that training and development. But if the person is not physically there, and if that person's manager is not physically there, how are we going to do all that? And it is an important, I think, a very important challenge for organizations of the future. I totally agree with the challenges, Ron, and I'm also wondering whether there's a flip side to those. So when you take a look at the current situation, do you see opportunities in there as well? The good part of what's happening today is that, number one, I think that most managers today are a little bit more savvy than previous generations of managers. So they understand we're not just giving training as an opportunity for a reward or a timeout or something like that. And having people come together for an opportunity for socializing about an, uh, about a topic that I think that there's much more of a greater expectation on all across all levels of the organization that you're going to see expectations of something happening. And at the end of training and that something happening has something meaningful for the organization so that there's a better connection between what the training provides, what it was supposed to do, and what the organization's uh, needs might be in that sense. 
And it's so critical that we as a field continue to emphasize our accountability for the things that we do. And this is not an argument about what perspective is best for HRD performance or learning or anything like that. But what it's just saying is, is that, you know, the learning that we want people to experience in the workplace, I believe is going to have to be much more focused. It's going to have to be much more directed. Um, and so learning for the sake of learning is an important aspect that we should continue to encourage people to engage in. But at the same time, we have to be very careful with that because we've been through those cycles of encouraging organizations and you know, schools and the workplaces to emphasize learning. When the learning organization first emerged, and I, I've seen this, uh, I saw this uh, up front, many practitioners uh, adopted that viewpoint wholeheartedly and rolled out large opportunities, you know, many opportunities for learning. They had um, the idea of the corporate university came into being and created these structures within their organization where people could take courses and sign up for courses and which is obviously an important thing to do. But what I saw happening, and I saw this happening up uh, from a firsthand perspective, is that when you create these wonderful structures where there's lots of learning encouraged, whether through a, like a, a corporate university entity or a catalog or just many opportunities. And I see this today where organizations are investing in online learning, that they feel like well, that's what you have to do. And they do it to the extent that it's excessive. And many times what I have seen is that it squeezes out time for learning that has more response to an immediate need. And it becomes a question, you know, do you keep the structure? <laughs> After you've built this structure, you know, you've convinced management that it's important to have this, you know, this uh, structure where there's all these opportunities um, that people can engage in learning. But what happens when something of importance jumps up, that it's important to do something else? Yeah, I, 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 um, I've worked for several company leaders and CEOs who've said to me, on many occasions that they would like to see the HRD function move five things forward a mile, as opposed to trying to move a thousand things forward an inch. So <laughs> focus on the five things that most move the needles that the company needs moving, mm -hmm. as opposed to offering a thousand things, hoping that some of that actually has an effect. Yeah, that's, that's very insightful. I think one of the, the needs that we have as a profession, and it maybe it's more like a going back to basics sort of a perspective, is clearly understanding that certain learning outcomes cannot be achieved through certain ways of doing, you know, delivering the, the learning activities. Yeah. And, you know, we just know that 
you know, we were, we learned this a long time ago, but it seems like in today's world, we're, we're not, it's something that we have to relearn again, that um, there is an infatuation today, I'm sure that you know, is that with artificial intelligence or augmented reality and virtual reality as a training tool, but you know, it is very attractive. And I know managers may look at it like it being the solution to a learning situation because you can put somebody in a situation where they can learn with a head set on and they can see something. And even with augmented reality, it's, it's more than what they could do, um, you know, than they could do in front of a screen by itself but they forget the cost and they forget the rigidity and the lack of flexibility. What happens when the content changes and how do we address those kinds of issues? And so whenever you see demonstrations of augmented reality, virtual reality, these are fun things um, and important things, but today they are just not, from my perspective, we have to be very careful about making sure that we're selecting kind of the kinds of things that have the flexibility because the work is changing. So I'm not a naysayer to say, you know, we shouldn't do anything new or cool or anything involving technology, but um, we should know a little bit more maybe whether or not what we're doing is matching with what we understand in terms of learning principles, you know, adult learning principles. That, that are important to support the objectives that we want to achieve. Yeah. Well, Ron, I uh, get the sense that we could probably talk about this for the rest of the day. I, I wonder whether now is a good time to wrap it up and then knowing that um, we have two more guests coming in and then you'll be back with us for a, a nice group discussion. That would be great. Um, it just seems like, Darren, as you say, we went in a lot of important directions. And I think what we've done, though, I think we've given the opportunity for the others to respond to these scenarios that are of critical importance for us as in the field, both from a research perspective and also from a practice perspective. And I'm really looking forward to hearing their perspectives and engaging how we might act upon this, you know, what we might do next. What can we do about the challenges that we have going forward? My second guest for the episode is Dr. Malika Shir Mohammadi an assistant professor of human resource development at University of Houston. As a researcher, Malika is curious about the role of work in people's lives. Particularly, she is interested in questions about careers and well-being of workers from underrepresented backgrounds and those in unconventional contexts. She has several journal articles and conference presentations in these areas. She serves as the Academy of Management Career Division Newsletter Editor, and on the editorial board of Human Resource Development Review. Hi, Malika. Welcome to the HRD Masterclass podcast. It's, it's great to have you here in our episode focused on training and development. 
Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. Hey, well, we just heard from Ron, and he was talking about training and development and its part in HRD and how training has changed over the years as the workplace has changed. We could start our conversation in a number of places, but I'm thinking a good place to start would be to take a bit of a step back and just ask what the term training and development means to you. To me, uh, training and development are organizational functions that ensure employees have the skills and knowledge uh, that they need to be successful uh, in their jobs and also their careers as they develop uh, for future positions. As I think about training and development, uh, I'd like to emphasize two points um, that may be uh, less commonly discussed. Um, the first point is um, thinking about training and development, not just as a tool to enhance skills and knowledge of our employees and uh, with the, as a means to an end for better performance, but also thinking about it as a means to promote um, employee well-being, especially through creating a positive work environment where they feel they can learn and they can enhance their careers. Another point that I like to emphasize when I think about training and development is um, employees' role as active agents in shaping their jobs and their careers, which um, kind of changes the discussion in terms of seeing individuals as people who intentionally seek uh, learning and training to improve their performance rather than individuals who are, who are only at the receiving end of training. We can approach individuals in the process of training as people who uh, seek learning, seek knowledge, uh, people who combine their existing knowledge with what they uh, learn new. How do you see all of this changing the way that training and development is done in a company? Then, you know, the, the changes you've described presumably impact how an HRD function operates. So what, what interventions they're running or what programs they're running, but also how they run them. Do you have a sense as to how the HRD functions have responded to these changes? I think we have some catching up work to do uh, with adjusting some of our knowledge and practices to these new types of work. Um, and understanding how we can um, respond to the needs of these uh, new workers. Because for these type of work, um, the, the employee is not spending a whole lot of time with the company. Um, and there's not much time for doing excessive needs analysis the way we uh, traditionally approach needs assessment um, in the training world. Uh, we kind of need to depend on identifying the exact need or maybe having the employees help us identify what is it that ne they need to know to get the work done uh, and also create a platform where they can manage it on their own, get it done and get started on the work. 
the picture that I have as a result of what we've just been talking through is a change to what programs look like and how they're delivered. What I'm also wondering is if you're seeing a change in who delivers it. Yeah, that can be um, that can be one uh, opportunity when we think about um, just-in-time or on-demand learning. Um, if there's this one thing that I want to learn and get started, uh, if it's accessible to me, yes, let me learn it from someone who has done it before, who knows how to do it, and I'll go just learn it from them. I just need to have the resources that are that I need, have access and somebody to facilitate and for me to get that connection to the person who knows how to do that. One of the thoughts I have when I listen to you there is about how training and development has changed over time. So, and I think I think you're talking a bit about that in that final point, the idea that maybe traditionally training and development was seen as a a service provider within an organization and was putting out a prospectus or curricula and people were then choosing from some catalog and it was very much a sort of a supplier user relationship but what you're suggesting there is it's actually two-way and more of a more of a partnership am i understanding you correctly that's that's exactly what i mean because that, that nature of work and careers have changed, we need to give some weight to individuals' voice and make them our partners in the process. Either it's uh, identifying their needs for training or even the design or the evaluation of what they are taking away from the, from the training effort. Yeah, it's almost in that case, like a shift for HRD away from facilitating content and into facilitating relationships. I, we're going to help employees connect with the subject matter experts around the organization, the right experts. Yeah, I like that. I like that description of making the, con- the right connections probably between people. This kind of points to a significant shift then, doesn't it, in the the life of an HRD function and the the life of HRD practitioners who are working in it. And it sounds like from the trends you're describing that what we should be seeing in terms of HRD practitioners is them working on more focused pieces and that they may be less likely to be in a classroom facilitating and more likely focused on almost knowledge management and connecting those who need to know with those who actually know. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good description of um, the shift that I think uh, it, it has already happened. And to some extent, uh, training having shift to a talent development, knowledge transfer uh, role, uh, in a sense, as far as the content of the role, probably. So do, so do you see a blurring then of training and development that it, it's less, so 20 years ago, I'm guessing training and development could be more easily defined as a service provider. And now probably it sounds like it is more of a partner with 
multiple other functions within an organization. That sounds uh, that sounds more like a fluid um, role that I think depends on the organization. Uh, we may some people may argue that we still have that um, traditional training department role in some um, probably bigger corporations and that they have that solid training uh, in place. But in some other types of organizations, maybe that is the multiple roles that now HRD practitioners need to play. Yeah, which takes me back to a little bit to earlier in our conversation and the idea of does it look different by level and sector? Because it, it kind of implies there that what we're talking about may be more, more visible, say, for exempt employees, let's say in a high tech sector, and maybe a little less visible for hourly employees in, in, in a retail environment, say. I agree. It, the context would definitely have um, an impact on these trends and how they impact training and development. Talking of trends, I'd really like to pick one and then dig into it with you a little. And the one I'm thinking of is the trend that we've seen over the last year of increased remote working or working from home, which of course we've seen a lot more of as a result of the COVID pandemic. What do you see as some of the training and development implications of that trend? And how do you see training and development responding to it? Um, the COVID pandemic um, has definitely meant work from home, uh, remote work, uh, for a great number of professionals across the world, it has also created an increased interest in remote work. Um, a lot of people, now that they have experienced it, they want to have some kind of flexibility uh, going back. Um, the increased interest, I think, calls for organizations to respond to that interest and make flexible work arrangements available. When we, when we talk about training and development, uh, we know that our resources are limited and we want to invest those resources and efforts in um, critical points. Um, Ron was talking about strategic uh, training and development, but in the sense that um, training and development needs to be connected with the business outcomes, the goals of the organization. If we are going to embrace flexible work arrangements, work from home, remote work, what are some of the critical points that training and development can come in and facilitate, um, help employees and employers? The first one is at the early stages of transitioning into uh, work from home um, because what we have observed and learned from the pandemic time uh, is that making the transition from a traditional workplace to one that's flexible and is remote uh, can be a significant challenge. So that tells us that initial stages of transitioning into remote, remote work um, requires um, 
support facilitation um, because we go through an adjustment period when we start working from home, when we were working in an office-based um, space before that. How do you see this changing the way that training and development is delivered? Um, I think presumably when employees were typically in an office, it made mm -hmm. it a lot easier to, to coach in person or it made it a lot easier to run in-person training courses. The, a more blended or even a fully remote solution presumably changes the way that HRD delivers its offerings. Definitely. It would be an adjustment for our profession as well to come up with, I think, innovative ways to address these new spaces. It will be a challenge, but also an opportunity for us to come up with, generate some of the content that we'll, we will use uh, in the hybrid blended environments. So for example, I'm looking for innovative ideas for to use in my classroom for a facilitation setting. All of them, almost all of them are based on face-to-face -face, uh, space. Uh, we definitely need more content. We need um, creative people to come up with new solutions that we can all use in the future. What, what you've talked through in, a, in this conversation feels like a, a large set of challenges for HRD. As in HRD, it sounds like in the world of training and development is seeking to respond to shifting sands that mm. the organization is demanding or is needing uh, shorter training solutions that content may be less likely to be facilitated and relationships are being facilitated that hrd or train development functions are being asked to lean in to help with hybrid or remote solutions in a new space that they haven't worked in before when you look at all of these changes, how, how ready do you feel HRD functions are? I, I probably wouldn't have the information that I can comment on how ready we are, but I'd like to think about our profession to be responsive to changes. And also, I see HRD to have a great degree of innovation and creativity because we kind of are trained to find um, problems and then come up with solutions that, that fits that problem, um, whether it's um, training and learning or it's organization development or career engagement. Uh, so we are very flexible in that sense. So the tools that we have are also flexible for that problem solving. Uh, and we are agile in terms of adjusting those tools to the needs of the environment. Uh, I think we have the tools and the creativity to respond. It may just take some time for us to create those uh, responses and solutions. 
Well, Malika, thank you so much indeed for your time. I've really enjoyed our one-to-one -one conversation. And I'd like to ask that you stay around. Uh, we have Sung Won coming up next, and then you'll be back with us, as will Ron, in the group discussion that we have later in the episode. Thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation as well, and I look forward to our group discussion. My third guest for the episode is Dr. Sung Wan Yoon, Professor of Higher Education and Learning Technologies at Texas A&M University Commerce. His research focuses on improving employees and organizational performance through connecting leadership, learning, knowledge sharing, and technologies. To do so, he frequently applies frameworks of social capital, network science, and data analytics. He serves as an associate editor of the Human Resource Development Quarterly Journal, he formerly taught in instructional technology over a decade and worked as an IT project manager for several years. Hi, Sungwon. Welcome to the HRD Masterclass podcast. It's great to have you here in our episode focused on training and development. Uh, thank you so much for having me here, Darren. It's a great pleasure and honor to be with you, too. What I'd like to do, I think, is to start by picking up on a few themes that were discussed with Ron and with Malika. So in particular, I'd like to chat about how training has traditionally meant in person. And I know that that's changed to include like e-learning and virtual and other forms of training, and they've become more prominent. But I'm wondering what you see now as the role of in-person training. Maybe I'd like to break down the in-person part uh, and the training part. Uh, to me, in-person is and will be always the most effective and powerful form of fast and deep learning. But at the same time, maybe most costly and least scalable too. Uh, I think in-person can be most effective uh, at the beginner and also at the very advanced level. As a beginner, uh, no learning is as effective as having a master showing you the big picture structure and also what you should do and what you should not do. And also in-person can be very good at the advanced level for joint problem solving for challenging tasks. And lastly, in-person maybe is a golden standard for networking, uh, getting to know colleagues and expanding network is a powerful outcome that no technologies will ever be close. For training, as Malika and Ron, both of them mentioned uh, how delivering training has changed and has to change with the workplace becoming more mobile and digital and maybe flexible too. Because of cost and the sort of away from work factor, I think name training might be continuously challenged or lose its status but it will always be there uh, where speed, structure, and human touch are absolutely critical. Uh, today, uh, training is contrasted often with the informal learning. An organization has to mix and balance both formal and informal learning. Uh, people say formal learning such as training is planned and structured, uh, whereas informal learning is 
unstructured, uh, spontaneous, and maybe less intentional. So although informal learning has been on the rise, uh, it is interesting for me to see that some examples of informal learning, such as YouTube or podcasting, really good ones are those that were created and using a formal good plan and structure. And I also like to mention in-person training contents can be digitally captured and edited and part of it can be extracted and used for different purposes uh, with a good metadata tagging. So unlike the common belief uh, that in-person training or formal learning will continually decrease, uh, I think its use and importance will continue and has to become more strategic, effective, and efficient. So when I think of in-person and e-learning and virtual and informal and all the other different types of training, what I hear a lot about from organizations is a desire to blend these solutions together. So where training programs combine multiple formats. Now, I think a lot of people talk about that, but I don't see many good examples of, of it being done well in practice. So it presumably isn't easy to create blended solutions. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on blended training solutions and how to create them. Uh, before I answer that question, uh, I'd like to share that as a faculty, I have taught how to design and evaluate e-learning over 12 years in academic programs of instructional technology. Uh, simply blended or hybrid learning is the best of the two words, uh, online and on-site. If one can do it, uh, you should do it. Uh, however, I have to tell you, like you said, uh, when you look at every academic programs, there are few programs that are excelling in both. Uh, most successful programs, even the program at the world's best university, when you look at it, it is either. And based on that, uh, the program is trying to leverage the other, but the main primary structure is one. Uh, that's simply uh, because designing and implementing uh, a good blended learning is more difficult and requires way more resources. As within online or on-site, <laughs> there are always good ones and bad ones too. As online excels in scaling, uh, replication, and can be strong in consistency and standardization. On-site excels in speed, improvising, uh, moments, clarifications, and human touch. And initial cost for developing online and virtual can be more costly. But from my experiences, uh, usually with the two, three iterations, uh, you recoup from scaling and easier update. And there are lots of e-learning contents already out there, so you don't have to create e-learning uh, all the time. I frequently hear from practitioner friends that one big challenge they have is how to compete with like their employees watching YouTube contents. As I fear that for successful blended learning and for any effective and impactful learning, a real key is to create a good sequence or mix that leverages strength of both worlds. So there's not necessarily one best order. Uh, for example, if it is a training for agile uh, teamwork, one can start with a face-to-face -face workshop or some e-learning before the workshop. 
and learning events can alternate between online and on-site over milestones or deliverables. So what matters to me will be finding patterns uh, that work and improving it as a similar text follow. A million dollar question, uh, if not billion, uh, will be whether the learning we design and support is the most effective, efficient, and impactful one. Uh, as I listen to you, it makes me think about how learning has changed over the last 20, 30 years. If I go back 20, 30 years, then there was a time when training actually felt a lot like how people learned outside of an organization. So outside of the organization, I was going to learn by reading a book or going to an evening class or um, attending adult education. And it was probably going to be in a classroom. Um, and, and training felt like that. Now, if I look at how people learn, like you referenced YouTube, which I think is a fantastic example. I think if I want to learn something, I'm probably going to Google it and I'm going to go to Wiki and I'm going to go to YouTube and I will identify exactly what I need to know and I'll learn that so that I can use it straight away, which doesn't resemble much of organizational learning. So that it, I think that it, it suggests in my mind there's an increasing chasm between how people learn in their in their personal life and how training operates in a company. Uh, what you described uh, is very similar to how I learned there. As I think when you described training like 20 years ago before, I think as the like operating dominant framework was training transfer and the speed of change like innovation is not as rapid and fast as these days. But uh, I think like as the uh, environment changes and as how people consume, learn, has changed and has to change naturally. I wonder like at what point that becomes an, an issue for HRD and for organizations that employees become hesitant to use company training because it just feels too different from how they learn in the rest of their lives? Well, uh, the, the way I see approach like uh, learning and training is uh, there are like employees who effectively know what they need to learn, uh, what they want to learn. And there are a lot of people who like uh, waste their time, uh, uh, like not learning effectively. I think uh, organizations and especially HR uh, is responsible and has the capability to guide employees for what to learn and what not to learn. Now you mentioned HR there, which makes me think about how training is, is part of the larger organizational system. And and of course, training, training solutions are often part of larger strategic initiatives within companies. Uh, I think an example of that is how training can be built into a workflow or can be integrated into knowledge management systems. I'm, I'm wondering how you see that working in practice. What, what are some of the challenges of making that work to make that happen? So I see two important trends to answer that question, Darren. Uh, first, uh, we used to design and develop 
learning or training first to address the performance or skills gap before. Uh, a new approach, which is not prevalent yet, but definitely happening, especially in the HR tech market, uh, is to bring learning not before, but after designing other business imperative HR solutions, such as hiring, onboarding, or career solutions. For example, uh, individual employees can utilize uh, a company internal talent marketplace for career planning. And based on said interest, the system can recommend contents or learning areas for the employee. Uh, the other related and very important trend is that learning used to be rather uh, implemented as an isolated solution. Uh, but with a big data analytics and integrated system solutions, uh, learning is becoming tightly connected and integrated with other solutions uh, such as performance management, not annual, but ongoing and regular uh, basis or as part of performing new tasks. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, effective workplace learning requires both formal and informal learning. And as a, a gentleman guy named Mark Rosenberg's uh, learning and performance architecture is a framework I like a lot and used a lot. So the, the framework identifies in-person training and e-learning as a formal learning. Uh, and it identifies like informal learning as knowledge management, communities of practice, uh, locating and utilizing experts and coaching and mentoring. And it highlights how informal learning is larger and getting uh, more bigger and frequent than formal learning in the workplace. So to answer the challenges and needs, uh, there are lots of useful learning design frameworks but to truly leverage them, uh, I think HR professionals, learning professionals should really know two things. Uh, first, uh, they should know how uh, like learning, good learning happens from behavior, uh, cognitive and emotional, motivational and social perspective, and then design and facilitate learning experiences that match good performance or performances. Uh, and second, to align learning with the organizational goals, uh, who is the sponsor of the HR functions, uh, HR really should understand skill capacities and needs, not just at the individual employee level, but also at the team, business unit, and the entire organizational level uh, to create a better, maybe a talent pipeline. So to me, strategic and value-adding training and learning means uh, employees' learning experiences are directly related to support their job functions, as well as individual employees and organizational goals. To me, that connects back with some of the things that we were talking about earlier in our conversation, that maybe there was a time when training programs, could broad training programs could be put out that covered lots of different skills and knowledge and and people would attend a five-day program knowing that somewhere in there there was going to be something that was useful for them and and i feel as if what we've seen in terms of a trend is a, a shift towards more more micro learning and the idea that anything that's going out from a training perspective 
as you're saying there has to be tied to the skills knowledge uh, that the employee needs tied to the individual and organizational goals that that employees are beyond the point where they're willing to sit through training in the hope that there's something there that ties to what they need i i agree there and as if, if uh, uh, training is something that requires like extensive uh, investment in my time, for example, like machine learning, I, I will choose at least a week long like uh, face-to-face uh, training over any other alternative learning. So as the final topic for our chat, I'd like to pick on something that didn't actually bubble up in either of the earlier conversations, but I think is certainly an increasingly hot topic, which is that of people analytics. And I know that some of your research has focused on that area. So I'm wondering what role does people analytics play in the design and rollout of impactful training? So uh, HR or people analytics uh, is a term that is definitely becoming very popular. Uh, to me, it's different from uh, evaluation or traditional assessment uh, because they were done for mostly a program. Uh, people analytics uh, emphasize the alignment uh, between data analysis and uh, organizational business strategies and use computational social science method, uh, particularly organizational network analysis, uh, machine learning, text mining, and simulation and of course the familiar descriptive and inferential statistics. Uh, Without modern data analytics, uh, I don't think we can really find the patterns, needs, progressions, and impacts of learning effectively and objectively. Uh, Without data, connecting and aligning learning with the other HR solutions will be also uh, maybe nearly impossible. So to me, uh, people analytics is a conceptual, procedural, and analytical framework that helps align uh, data analysis with the business goals and strategies. And in my research, uh, I apply people analytics as an umbrella framework that includes uh, learning or learner analytics, talent analytics, retention analytics, or employee experience analytics, you name it. Oh, by the way, uh, analytics has a meaning of breaking apart or automate. So if you can do that, you can call it as analytics. So I don't think really we have a shortage problem for learning contents. Uh, Instead, maybe we may have too many learning contents and rather than needs for creating a new learning, more learning, more common challenges would be how to identify locate and recommend which learning uh, and equally important will be how to connect learning with the other HR and business needs. So we can show the value of learning in HR work to the organization and to the employees. Uh, I do believe in the power and importance of learning. And to me, as most admirable and thankful colleagues are people who have a passion for learning and who share their learning. And I also believe in the importance of good measurement. If you can measure it, uh, you can prove its importance. Organizations have a fair share of good individual talents, 
but they differ in performance, culture, capability, and attraction. So uh, they say the value of intangibles has become and will become more important and organizations with more opportunities for learning and growth will attract people. Uh, they also say uh, as companies with a greater innovation capability and social contributions attract customers. So I think data uh, analytic approaches are relatively new but present great opportunities for making learning more relevant, uh, accountable, and hopefully enjoyable than ever before. Well, that definitely sounds like something to aim for. That's for sure. That's I, I would I would I would vote for that. There's no doubt about it. Well, thank you so much, Sung Wong, for our conversation. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, please please stay with us as Ron and Malika are rejoining us now for the group discussion in the next segment of the episode. Uh, thank you so much too, Darren. Uh, let's chat, talk about more like soon. Up next, we have the group discussion where my guests are together to discuss their shared passion for the episode's topic. This discussion is brought to you thanks to the sponsorship support of Situate, a new platform that is the digital version of structured on-the-job training. Situate is the only learning management system that focuses on developing job-specific skills and includes a proprietary toolkit for conducting job and task analysis, among other analysis techniques. More information about Situate can be obtained from situate-training.com. Welcome back to the HRD Masterclass podcast. Our focus for this episode is training and development, and I've already met one-to-one with Ron Jacobs, Malika Shir-Mohammadi, and Sungwan Yoon. For the final section of the episode, we're all together for our group chat. So welcome back, Ron, Malika, and Sungwan. Thank you. Great to be back, Darren. Excited for our uh, conversation. Okay, so in our one-to-one chats, I picked up slight changes in emphasis between the importance of in-person, technology training, and on-the-job. When the three of you look at training and development in organizations, how do you view the balance between those different formats, and how do you see that balance changing in the coming years? First, in-person is always one major option in the suite of delivery tools and technologies. And over the history of about 100 years of instructional and learning technologies, in-person has been always a golden standard uh, for quality and interactivity. Uh, Second, uh, instead of new technologies replacing old technologies, they tend to go through the pattern of being used together and some old ones being phased out. And lastly, I want to say that instructor-led or expert-led former uh, planned learning might be a more useful comparison than in-person versus technology-based learning. Uh, With the tools like video uh, conferencing, text chat, shared calendar, it won't be the same as in-person, but uh, they will be pretty close and technologies will be uh, used more where and when in-person is not the best or strong option. But people are ultimately social animals and they will always miss or appreciate face-to-face events or contacts. 
I will um, add that um, it seems that uh, use of um, technology, um, social media, smartphones, and other technologies are just um, on the rise. They're um, likely to increase in the future. So they will also impact um, learning and development in, in the workplace for different reasons. Um, one of which is um, costs um, of these technologies just decreasing. And um, because of that, they will substantially reduce training costs um, bringing geographically dispersed employees to one central training location can be very costly. So with training um, technologies, those costs can be cut down. In some industries, engaging in more non-traditional, uh, that, that they use non-traditional employment relationships like part-time gig work, um, consultants, con contractors, um, and alternative work arrangements, such as work from home, technology-based uh, learning is a great solution because it allows training to be delivered to the place where um, employees are, rather than bringing them to the company. When I listen to the responses about technology and training, I'm always grounded, I always try to be grounded to what it is that the training is trying to achieve. So I'm, I'm kind of always skeptical a little bit to what extent that the technology actually can achieve the outcomes that the designers planned for it. When I talk about this in front of groups and, and others, about the use of technology, I go back to the individual training professionals themselves and I ask them very pointedly, what are the learning or what are the training principles that you believe in and that you think are critical for every learning experience that you design? And you have to judge the efficacy of that technology based on the principles that you yourself hold to be true. For example, you might say um, that learning by doing is best. It is really important, I believe, that we as people in the academy help our, you know, others in our profession keep, be mindful of what it is that they believe to be true and judge the efficacy of technology based on the learning principles that they believe are important. There's another question we haven't explored in the episode that's worth exploring, which is the difference between training and development. Then we've said it almost as if it's one word, training and development. But as I listen to your answers there, it makes me feel as if there is a difference. So do you see a difference between those? And if so, are the current trends shifting organizations more towards one than the other? Training is used to refer to the short-term job-focused performance on the job-focused um, where development is looking at maybe longer term development 
for career purposes and future jobs that employees want to pursue. Another aspect of it could be when training and development are used together, um, training again is focusing on the job, preparing uh, employees for the, their tasks. I think the amb ambiguity about the word training and development um, has been the reason that we've seen other terms in use. And we've seen the terms talent development and talent management and employee development and all these different other terms trying to find a precise way of identifying what it is that has to do with the learning enterprise within an organization. When you say training, it gives the impression that you're thinking about something that's maybe has a shorter term, more focused perspective of the outcomes of the training, have an explicit link with the expectations of what people are expected to do on the job. And so from that perspective, training has a certain meaning. So, you know, you distinguish between, in some ways, between a training program, which has outcomes, maybe that are linked to expectations and development that has to do with the person. I mostly concur with Ron. Uh, like each word uh, is a concept, like uh, uh, education, broader, longer term, training, more short term, immediate goals, and development more uh, over the duration perspective. When we use the term, I think it is really important to recognize uh, how practitioners, people might be interpreting, accepting, understanding each terminology differently based on their context, organizational, individual, uh, specific context. It's interesting there, because as, as each of you spoken, you've referenced in different ways, the way that work is changing or the workplace is changing. Uh, so I'm interested in what you see as the role for training and development in responding to those sorts of changes in work and the workplace. I would like to bring back um, training technologies back into the conversation here and say that the recent changes and trends in the world of work um, and the uh, crisis um, all of those create these conditions where training technologies and training support technologies can be actually very helpful and needed um, for two reasons. One is I think training technology gives um, employees, learners, workers control um, over where and when they want to learn or they can manage the content so it gives them the adaptability or the flexibility they need in the times of crisis or change uh, we want to give people that space where they can adjust and um, redefine and apply new ways of um, or newer strategies for how they want to work uh, so transferring a little bit of that control regarding learning and training through techno technology can be helpful to employees. The challenge um, that Malika you're referring to um, that I see is kind of a two-edged sword. I think what happens is 
that we're facing a situation now where technology or the delivery of instruction, training through digital means is going to be unavoidable in a lot of respects. So on the one hand, because of the arrangement of people working from home, working remotely, all the different factors that we have now, somehow you're still going to have to do training, but it's going to have to be in ways delivered through a digital means. And so we kind of accept that to be true. But at the other hand, we have this need to maintain certain outcomes that training used to be able to give us, and that was to be able to impart skills. And I think that that's the challenge. How do we do the digital delivery of, techno of information, of training materials and things like that, but at the same time ensure that there's still people are learning to do something I think one uh, like a, a huge shift I sense and is necessary uh, is uh, like no longer the one size fits all or this is how it works uh, in this organization. Uh, that type of approach uh, will not work well. As, uh, like HR professionals should not only look at the organizational context, but uh, what's happening at the national level and also at the global level. Because even with the same COVID crisis, like uh, uh, challenges, opportunities, uh, reactions, it was all different by countries, by job levels, by even in the same country locations and cities. And so uh, like these are all about whether it is work patterns work hours, well-being, or like uh, so anything. I think employees and more people in society are expecting the employer uh, to be capable of understanding and addressing managing changes well. And that means a company has to really strategically, proactively utilize training, learning, and development solutions uh, to better uh, understand and leverage various internal and external changes. Listening to your answers there, you've each referenced changes that have either, either happened within organizations and training and development over the last few years or are happening right now. So what I'd like to do, I think, is to try and push our horizon forward a little and to look at what training and development could be like as it changes over the next five to 10 years. So when you look out, what do you see training and development looking like in five to 10 years time? And what are the trends that are creating that change? Well, that's a really difficult question to answer. It's a good question, Darren, but I think it's a difficult question to answer with any certainty. If we would a year and a half ago, in maybe December of 2019, um, we would have no idea what was about to, to befall. And we would have made comments that obviously would have had very little relevance. But I think, you know, one of the things that's driving and cannot be viewed as being independent of training technology is what I consider the technology in the workplace. And, you know, in the workplace, people are using 
terms such as digital talent, digital transformation. I mean, these are not about training. These are about what's changing in the way work is done and the manner that the workplace is established. And I think there's a lot of cues from that that we might be, we should be much more aware of. And so when you think about the future of training, well, does it have to be as high tech as the workplace? Not really, but we really need to make sure that whatever, wherever the workplace is going, that we are, that we have the technologies, whatever, whether it's digital technologies or face-to-face -face or whatever, to help us respond to these changes in the workplace. So, so uh, that's great, uh, Ron. Uh, what I like to add is, uh, I believe, uh, as a field uh, in the profession, I think we used to design and deliver training or whether it is learning development solutions to relatively solve a specific and narrow goal, uh, usually individuals or team skills gap or performance improvement. Uh, so, but what I see uh, is a more explicit and purposeful integration and connection of uh, training and development, learning development with the other HR functions, uh, such as career management, onboarding, like uh, succession planning, working with the robots and skills management, things like that. And, and, and uh, as Ron pointed out, uh, I think really distinctions between HR differentiating HR as a support function versus business unit running operations. Uh, the distinction uh, seems to be like a, a getting bloody and disappearing uh, sometimes, not in every place, but in many places and more uh, crisscrossing and working together on the part of HR with various stakeholders uh, seems to be happening. And I think what truly uh, distinguishes uh, like it gives a vantage point for HR is uh, we have a long history of expertise and doing things in areas of uh, leadership, talents, technologies, uh, organizational development, uh, learning, and uh, like a, the important role of those will, will uh, never uh, get reduced or I, I think it will only keep increasing. So how we design and deliver and what, uh, how we work on things uh, seems to be uh, constantly changing and evolving. I'd like to um, use the um, phrase or concept adaptive training um, as I picture uh, the future of training and development um, adaptive training refers to training that customizes or adapts um, mostly content that's presented to trainees based on their um, ability, personality, performance, learning style. But I'd like to expand that to adaptive uh, training for companies and organizations. I think now that we have gone through this maybe a little bit of paradigm shift of uh, creating more 
um, technology-based online solutions because of the pandemic, um, the extent or the range of training solutions have just become more diverse. Um, so if we think about the range of solutions that are out there, um, expanding from fully instructor-led face-to-face instruction to one that is fully online and technology-based simulation virtual reality. There are so many combinations and blended solutions in between um, that companies have been using. Um, so maybe going forward in the future, training will be um, that adaptive uh, response that combines these different strategies and solutions. There are many industry reports that give us a current snapshot of what's happening in the training industry and things like that. And um, in my own consideration of these kinds of things, it's interesting that we try to make meaning of the various surveys that are done in the profession and um, you know that you can see that there's a greater trend toward digital platforms in various situations. Um, I'm referring to the industry, state of the industry report that the Association for Talent Development is pretty famous for issuing annually for the last at least 20 years or so or more. And um, it shows a trend. There's a reporting by HRD professionals about what they use, what is used in their organization. And that's a very interesting snapshot of what people do. Um, I think though that if you turn the question around, that if you ask the employees not what training technologies did you experience, but if you ask them, how did you learn how to do your job? That's a completely different question. When those kinds of studies are reported, they almost never, ever refer to a training program that was delivered in a classroom or anything like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you've asked people, how did you learn how to do your job? Almost invariably, they say, I learned how to do my job at the job and during the time I was doing my job. And so, you know, there's, there oftentimes is a disconnect between the things that we hold that are important, that we believe are important of making sure what the future trends and, you know, making sure that we're plugged in with the latest technologies and things like that. And then when you ask people on the receiving end, well, how did you learn what you're doing? They give you a completely different answer with a completely different emphasis. Well, unfortunately, we have reached the end of our time for today. But uh, I did want to say a big thank you to, to Ron, to Malika, to Sungwon. Thank you all for our conversations and for being a part of our discussion on training and development. Thank you, Darren. Thank, thank you, you Darren. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was wonderful spending time with Ron, Malika, and Sung Wam.
If you enjoyed the episode, check out our others to explore topics such as organization development, learning organizations, career development, and much more. New episodes release weekly for this first series of 10 episodes. To learn more about the series, check out hrdmasterclass.com. And to learn about the Academy of Human Resource Development, check out ahrd.org. By becoming a member, you can access extra bonus materials not included in the podcast. Also, don't forget to look up our group discussion sponsor, Situate, by visiting their website at situate-training.com. I'm looking forward to being with you in our next episode. Until then, this is Darren Short signing off from the HRD Masterclass. HRD Masterclass podcast is brought to you by the Academy of Human Resource Development and is a production of allbypodcast.com.